Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today. Pastor, thank you for saying my last name correctly. There are so many people that say, oh, we got it, and then they get up there and just butcher it. So he did an incredible job. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I do come from uh, Florida. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. We didn't have the brunt of the hurricane that Southwest Florida did, but all my flights have to go through Atlanta, Georgia. Tons of delays, but God was gracious in getting me here. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and share with you this morning. Again, as Pastor mentioned, my name is David Chakra Narayan. Uh, I serve as a director of church engagement for Mission India, and I'll share a little bit more about Mission India as we go further into my sermon. My family could not be here, uh, but I've been married for 18 years. Uh, my wife's name is Kristen, and I have five daughters. Exactly, that's the reaction I get, right? <laughs> 15, 13, 12, 10, and 8. So please put me on your church prayer list. That would be greatly appreciated. You know, I pastored in Cincinnati for 16 years. I was a church planner. I was a teaching pastor. And then my family transitioned to Florida in 2020. What's unique about my salvation story is that in the 1800s, uh, my family in India, they were outright pagans. And missionaries came to a particular part of India. And my family came to faith in Christ as a result of missionary movement in India in the 1800s. Uh, so the fact that I even get to share with you this morning is a fruit of something that happened generations ago. And I think a great lesson for all of us is this, is that sometimes we will get to see the fruit of our labor for the kingdom of God, and sometimes we will not. But we trust that God is faithful to carry out his gospel seed and make it grow all around the world. So I'm extremely grateful for that. This morning, as Pastor had mentioned, our, our passage is Acts chapter 17, and the title of my message is, Good News in Difficult Places. Now, some of you might be wondering, is that even possible? No, from a human perspective. But when we insert Jesus into that equation, everything changes. Because Jesus transforms minds and hearts, and great things can happen. So as you are going through this passage with me this morning, I want you to ask yourself this one particular question, what role am I playing in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not just here locally, but globally. Because we believe the Bible is truly the word of God. It is the only true revelation from God to man. And if it talks to us about the fact that we are all sinners before God, and the only way to find redemption is through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that there are eternal consequences for those who reject Christ, we must get serious in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason I want to use Acts chapter 17 as our text this morning is because I want us to look at the Apostle Paul and his passion, this passion for the love of Jesus Christ that caused him to be engaged with the lost world around him. We are going to look at verses 16 through 31 and some application in terms of what we need to do as believers to reach our local communities and the nation for Jesus Christ. Now, as you're looking at the book of Acts, usually if you turn to the first chapter, there's usually a description of the book of Acts that tells you the date it was written, who the author was, and you'll usually see a title like this. It says, Acts of the Apostles. Another way that I like to talk about the book of Acts is by saying it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And here's how I would summarize the book of Acts in one sentence. It is the Spirit of God empowering the people of God to do the work of God to the glory of God. I want to say that one more time. It is the Spirit of God empowering the people of God to do the work of God to the glory of God. 
These were ordinary men and women throughout Scripture that God used, and His Spirit was able to work in and through them to do incredible things for His glory. We need to ask ourselves, have we submitted ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can have a gospel influence where God has placed us? Let me share with you one statement before I start my message here this morning. When we talk about missions, it's important for us to understand this. Where God has placed you is your mission field, and you are the missionary. Amen? Where God has placed you is your mission field, and you are the missionary. It changes the way that we see our part in the greater narrative of how God wants to reach our communities and the ends of the earth. So we can be passionate about reaching the nations overseas, but what about our neighbor that lives next to us across the street? Because he or she is just as lost as the person that is in India. So we need to start being passionate locally. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. Let me give you a little bit of context here as the author Luke tells us about how God was working through the early church. As you are studying the book of Acts, it is split into two different historical sections. The first section, the first half, focuses on Peter's ministry. It is the gospel starting in Jerusalem, this incredible message that Peter preaches, and thousands of people come to faith in Christ. The rest of the book is focused on Paul's ministry and the gospel going out to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 17, as was Paul's custom, he would find places to share the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching in this place called Thessalonica, and as he is preaching and teaching there, he's chased out of there, and then he goes to this place called Berea. He finds people that are devoted, and they check to make sure that what Paul is preaching and teaching lines up with the Word of God. And as he is doing this, he's also chased out of Berea. Now, here's what's significant is that Paul, he ends up leaving Timothy and Silas in Berea, and then he heads over into a place called Athens. Why is this significant? It is significant because for the very first time, the gospel is leaving the Middle East and now is heading over into Europe. Paul finds himself in a place called Athens. Now, Athens was the cultural center of Greece. It had very intelligent people that lived there, many influential philosophers. It could have been an intimidating environment for the Apostle Paul, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was confident in the gospel, and he saw it as an opportunity to expand and advance the kingdom of God. As Paul is in Athens, he encounters two main philosophies, which in this passage he's going to counter by giving a great defense of Christianity. In Acts chapter 17, he encounters two groups of people. The first group that he encounters is a group of people called the Epicureans. These were basically hedonists. They were all about pleasure. Basically, they would say in 2022, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Does that sound like our culture? Absolutely. They, they believed that the gods exist somewhere out there in the distant lands, but that they had nothing to do with man. And then he also encountered another group of people called the Stoics. They were basically pantheists who believed that God was in everything similar to many Hindus that live in India and around the world. They were all about self-control, the fact that pain should never bother you, pleasure doesn't seduce you. They were basically trying to attain a life without pain and pleasure. Church, today, you and I know that we live in a fallen world. We cannot escape pain. What the last two years has taught us is that pain has been global. 
The fact that every single descendant of Adam has suffered pain. So we simply cannot escape pain on this side of eternity. We wait for a new heaven and new earth. Look at Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16 and 17. Here's what it says. It says, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Let me share with you three things you and I can do practically as we seek to advance the gospel as we're looking at Acts chapter 17 and the life of the Apostle Paul. Number one is that one thing that needs to be evident in our lives is that we should have compassion for the lost. We should have compassion for the lost. Paul is in Athens, and the Bible says that his spirit was provoked within him. He saw the lostness of humanity. He has gone from the Middle East, and he heads over into Europe. He sees this place that is fully given over to idols, and he has compassion for them because we see that he's going to engage them with the gospel, but he saw the lostness of humanity. Church, I have a newsflash for all of us as Christians in 2022. Lost people will always act like lost people. Amen? Lost people will always act like lost people. Don't turn on the television, the news, and say, I cannot believe people are behaving this way. They are acting on the part of a far greater problem that we have, and it is a symptom of something greater, and that is called sin. Man trying to find significance and happiness and meaning apart from his creator, God. Lost people will always act like lost people. That is why you and I need to be passionate about sharing the good news because the gospel transforms minds and hearts. God works from the inside out. He saw the lostness of humanity. And the Bible says in these verses that Paul's spirit was provoked within him. He he was upset by all the false worship, but he also wanted to take action. My question for us this morning is this, when was the last time that your heart was truly broken for what you observed around you? Maybe you wanted to lash out in anger, maybe you were upset, but did you have compassion for the lost because they are eternally separated from God and the only mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ who can make them right in their walk with God. He saw the lostness of humanity, but his spirit was provoked within him He was heartbroken, but he also wanted to take action. See, you and I can get upset by many things that we see around us, and what we end up simply doing is going into a corner and complaining, right? Rather than taking action and saying, you know what, I'm going to step out, I'm going to have boldness and courage, because regardless of what the culture is doing, I am going to be faithful to the cause of Christ. And now, why was Paul upset Because the city was given over to idols, people worshiping these supposed deities that represented some type of power or some type of gods. Now, I have up here a picture of idol worship in India. You'll see this up here. Hopefully it'll come up here. But there are people that live in India that are worshiping many idols. You may have seen pictures of this on television. You may have seen some documentaries. But people will go into physical temples and they will worship idols. Now, many of us might say to ourselves, well, I can't believe people are worshiping these idols that they themselves end up making. The problem for us in the West, and we don't realize, is that we too have idols. These are the idols of the heart. 
Think about this for a moment. An idol is something that consumes your thoughts, desires, and and your time is dedicated only to those things, such as money, nicer houses, nicer cars, a career. And this is what we give ourselves over to. So we may not be like the people of India that worship physical idols, but we too have idols that are the idols of the heart that only God can see. But we also pursue things that we think are ultimately going to give us meaning. So Paul has compassion for the lost. He sees the lostness of humanity. He wants to take action. But number two, he didn't have to pray about sharing Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? He didn't have to pray about sharing Christ. There is no doubt that when we look at the word of God, there is a clear command in Matthew chapter 28 to go out and proclaim the gospel. Go out and preach the gospel. Jesus gave that command before he ascended into heaven. Now, here's what I've realized about us as human beings. Here's what we do. When we read the Bible, we end up taking God's commands and we turn them into suggestions. Amen? How often have you read the Bible and you've thought to yourself, well, I don't know if that applies to me, but I sure know that it applies to someone in my Bible study. They've been talking about me. They've been gossiping about me, right? And so we have a very selective approach when we're looking at Scripture. We take God's commands and we turn them into suggestions. Scripture is clear. Every one of us is called to proclaim the gospel. Here's something else that we end up doing. We encounter someone in a conversation about God, the Bible, Jesus, Here's what I want to recommend to you. Don't do this. Don't pull out your pastor's business card and say, here is my pastor's number. Call him because he has all the answers to the questions you are asking. Your your pastors do know a lot about the Bible and about salvation and about the Word of God, but do you realize that every single one of us in this room has been commissioned to share the gospel? The, The sharing of the gospel is just not for pastors. It is for every believer And so every one of us has been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be faithful in that calling. So he didn't have to pray about sharing Christ. But here's something else that we end up doing as believers. How many of you in the last few years have prayed this prayer, Lord Jesus, come back quickly? Raise your hand. Okay, 30% of you are telling the truth. All right, I appreciate that on a Sunday morning. We've all done this, right? When we see tragedy around us, when we see chaos on our television, when we see wars around the world, and we say to ourselves, I don't know how much more I can take. Lord Jesus, please come back soon. And we desire to be with the Lord. But there's also selfishness that is associated with the prayer. Because if the Lord Jesus were to come back right now, we would have friends and family and people around the world who would be in a lot of trouble to stand before God. So until that time comes, our prayer needs to be, Lord, until you come, give me opportunities where I can proclaim the good news to those who are eternally separated from you. The Apostle Paul, number one, he had compassion for the lost, but number two, he communicated the truth. Now, I know we live in 2022 where people don't want to talk about the truth, but you and I as believers, we do have truth. It is called the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, the the inspired, infallible word of God, God has given to us his truth. Paul was not scared to communicate that truth. Look at verse 24 and 25. Luke writes, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, 
does not live in temples made by hand, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to himself, gives himself, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Here's another picture. I showed you a picture of idols, but there's another picture here of idols in India that are being made in a factory. This is the greatest hope that many people throughout India have, is that they get to create their own idols, and then they put them in temples and on the streets, and then people can go worship them there. Paul's message is quite clear here. He says this. He says, there is a creator God who has made everything. He has not been created by something, but there is a God who exists outside of time. He is infinite. We are finite. But not only is there a creator God, but he is also self-sufficient. He is not in need of anything. Question for you this morning is, have you ever tried to bribe God? Some of you would say, never. Well, maybe you have prayed a prayer like this, Lord, if you would just come and get me out of this mess or answer this prayer, I will serve you more, read my Bible consistently, and attend church regularly. We've all done it. We, we've tried to negotiate with God, and we've said, God, if you would just intervene in my life, then, I, then you know, I'll go ahead and serve you and do all these things for you. And God is saying to us, he is not in need of anything. You cannot bribe God. But he invites us into his work so that we can experience the joy of who he is and experience his presence as he uses us. He is creator. He is self-sufficient. Look at verse 26 and 27. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of times, uh, periods, and the boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. Uh, I want to show you a couple of things regarding these two verses, two slides uh, regarding India. The first one is this. It is a slide of what is called reincarnation in India. Prominent belief, dominant belief in India. Here's what it means. Basically means whatever you are experiencing in this life is a result of something you did in your previous life. Raise your hands. How many of you have ever heard the word karma? Raise your hand. Unfortunately, I hear even many Christians using this. That's completely incorrect. There's no biblical foundation or concept to that. So in reincarnation, what it means is the life that you're living now is a result, a byproduct of something you did in your previous life. So you have to go through multiple cycles in trying to attain goodness until you are perfect. Now, think about this for a moment practically. What this worldview basically says is that if you are someone who is homeless on the streets of India begging for food, if you're a woman who is being subjected to a life of human trafficking, that is your karma. What a hopeless worldview to have, that you simply have to try harder in this life so that you can have something better in the next life. Years ago, I had an opportunity to travel to Thailand, and we went to this place that was known for having idols at the top of a mountain. And in order for you to get to the top of the mountain, you have to walk up like 200 steep stairs. Now, here's the hilarious part about this, is you are walking up these stairs, they have food vendors right next to these stairs. It's the equivalent of walking on a treadmill eating a cupcake, okay? It's not going to do anything for you. 
But, but you're walking up these steep stairs, and when you get to the very top, there's this huge area where there's multiple idols that are set up that people worship. And then as you walk a little bit further, you look over and you see the rest of the city. It is typical of world religions that say this, you make the attempt to get to God, you do the work, and you do everything that you can and sacrifice so that you can have some type of redemption. In Christianity, the worldview says there is an infinite gap between God and man. You are not able to get to God. That is why Jesus comes down and becomes one of us. It is the incarnation where God puts on humanity and he lives among us. He lives a perfect life. He identifies with our sorrows. We have a Savior that knows exactly what we are going through because he has walked in our shoes. This concept of reincarnation, but there's also something called a caste system in India. It is a societal order built on religious and cultural norms, and basically the population is divided into a hierarchy. The higher up you are in the caste system, you have the best jobs, you have more prominence, but if you're at the very bottom, you're worthless, you have the most menial jobs, you are abused in society. The reincarnation aspect and caste system are two of the greater dominant views that exist in India. Why do I share all that with you? Because we look again at verse 26 and 27. Here's what I find is that God is global in his reach. Do you you realize that God cares for the entire world? He doesn't just care about me. He cares for the world. Look again at the phrase in verse 26. It says this, He has made from one man every nation of mankind. Here's what that means. That one man is a reference to Adam, and we all come from Adam and Eve. So here's what that means. If we all come from Adam and Eve, there is only one race, the human race, but we have people, groups, and cultures who are spread out all around the world. And since we all come from Adam and Eve, we have all died in Adam, and therefore the gospel is for every human being locally and globally, so we have an obligation to share the good news. You know, I mentioned to you earlier that I, share, uh, that I serve with an organization called Mission India. I want you to take a look at this next map up here. Tell me if you recognize this place. Okay? Sure you do. So I know we are in the south. These are not Chick-fil-A locations, okay? I I know this is the South, and Chick-fil-A is everywhere. No. These red dots here, or red markers, are churches. What that means is that within a 5 to 15-minute drive of this location, the general population, you and I in this place, can have access to a church where they can get connected with a Christian, hear the gospel, and grow in their walk with Christ, There are many of these churches also that go out into their community and do outreach into that community. Why do I share that? Because take a look at this next map. This is a map of 2022 of the global status of evangelical Christianity. If you notice, dark green dots mean that the population is 10% or higher evangelical presence, which means there are enough believers in that nation to be able to evangelize that country. Notice the United States is dark green. You can go to the smallest of towns throughout America and you will see churches on every corner. But one thing is apparent as you're looking at a map, you'll see a nation completely engulfed in red dots. It is the nation of India. It is the most unreached nation in the world. Let me share with you how staggering the numbers are. For instance, 
for someone to be considered unreached, it has a couple definitions. Number one, they have never heard of Jesus. They've never heard the name Jesus. They don't know a Christian. They have no access to a Bible, and there is no church in the community. Imagine living in such dire situations. Not only that, but in India, there are over 400 million people who are considered unreached more unreached people in India than anywhere else in the world. Globally, that number is between 2 to 3 billion. That is massive. Think about the incredible privilege that you and I have to come to church, to open the Bible, to hear about Jesus, to grow in our walk with God and be on our way to heaven. And yet there are billions around the world who are yet to hear the name of Jesus who are lost for all of eternity if they don't trust him as their savior. It's the reality on the ground. Look again at verse 26. Here's a verse that I hope sticks with you. Out of everything that I've said, I hope this sticks with you. Verse 26, it says this. He says that God, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Here's why I say that. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you had a choice where you would be born? Raise your hand. Do you realize you could have been born in Afghanistan, never heard about Jesus, being under complete persecution? You know, you saw what happened last year with the pullout uh, of Afghanistan. Afghanistan has become the country that persecutes Christians the most. It was North Korea, now it's Afghanistan. You could have been born in Afghanistan. You could have been born in India, where you would be one of the unreached people that had never heard the name of Jesus, over a billion people that don't know Jesus Christ, but in some reason, in God's providence, design, and sovereignty, he placed you here with a Christian community where you could hear the transforming power of the gospel and be on your way to heaven. You and I had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with the grace of God. But how do we extend that to the nations? You know, I run through this quickly. How do we solve this problem in India as Mission India? Number one, I'll share with you, we have something called church planner training. You'll see a couple pictures up here where we use, we train indigenous church planners, Indian Christians, we train them for a year, and they go out into unreached communities and they start churches. So in a one-year process, they share the gospel with 600 families, baptize 20 believers, and start two churches in one year. This is, this is the norm, the average for our church planners. We also do adult literacy where we teach men and women how to read and write, get them up to a fifth grade education level. There's around 150 to 200 adults that are enrolled in this. They, get to, they learn how to read and write. They're taught hygiene. They're taught business skills so that they can be self-sufficient and not dependent on other sources of income. This is also especially important for women because many women are trafficked throughout India in poorer areas and People from big cities come and they have these contracts and they sign them away thinking that they're going to get an incredible job in the big city. Instead, they're lured into a life of trafficking. If we can teach them how to read and write and have education, they won't be susceptible to that. And lastly, we have children's Bible clubs, which are basically vacation Bible school on steroids. For an entire year, around 200 kids after school get to be disciple, get to hear the name of Jesus, get to have songs sung that they sing about Jesus. They're helped with their schoolwork. Matter of fact, in India right now, children are the ones that are being saved and they're bringing their parents to church. 
A great movement of God is happening in India. But here's the issue that we have in India, and I'll share with you on this next map. This is a map that was put out by an organization called Open Doors. If you want this information, there's a table, I believe, that has this information. But according to Open Doors, India is ranked number 10 in the world in terms of nations that persecutes Christians the most. Number 10, this is three years in a row. It is estimated that 60% of Christians said that they have been persecuted for their faith. Others have been beaten. Women have been left to themselves because their husbands have divorced them for turning to Jesus Christ. Others have been separated from their family and their children, people imprisoned and even killed. It is a reality for many believers living in India and these areas around the world. Church, can I share with you something? Persecution is not someone disliking your Facebook post about COVID or politics. Amen? This is real-time persecution where people are willing to stand in the gap for the name of Jesus and are willing to be hurt so that his name can be proclaimed. Here's what it also tells me. It is the most unreached area of the world where you see that map highlighted. That's where the three billion globally who have never heard the name of Jesus live. This is the area of the world that is also the most persecuted, but there's good news. You may say, What could possibly be good news when I'm looking at this map? Here it is. This is also the areas of the world where the church is growing the fastest. The fastest growing church in the world right now is in a place called Iran. God is growing his church. You know what that means? For us as believers in America, we can either have comfort or we can have the expansion of God's kingdom around us, but we cannot have both at the same time. To follow Jesus comes with a cost and a price. Are we willing to pay that price? Lastly, I want to close with this. Paul had compassion for the lost. He communicated the truth. Why did he do all this? Because there is a coming judgment. Verse 30 and 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul says this, humanity is guilty before God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are eternal consequences to those who reject Christ. But all of humanity will also have to give an account. Do you realize that you and I are going to have to stand before God and give an account of our lives? How did we steward what we were entrusted with? Every single thing that we said, everything that we did, even the way that we gave, even the way that we serve, we will have to give an account before God. Why do I know that all of these things are going to happen? Paul tells us God has given us assurance of this because the world will be judged in righteousness by a man he has appointed and he has given this assurance by raising him from the dead. We will have to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for our life. The resurrection is real. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, that if Christ is not risen, then we are the most hopeless of people. But Jesus did come to this earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He healed the lame, made the blind to see. He calmed the storms. He fed thousands. He confronted the Pharisees. He offered grace to sinners. He was betrayed, beaten, rejected, and killed. He died a substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. The wrath of God was poured out on him. He was buried, but on the third day, he rose again victorious. 
He defeated the power of death and the grave. He ascended into heaven and now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. And one day he promises to come back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you and I be ready to bow our knee before him and declare him King of kings and Lord of lords? Let's pray. Gracious God, we are thankful to you this morning that you have brought your church together in this place to to praise your name that deserves praise. For you are creator, you are sustainer, you are healer, you are the one that offers us salvation, you are our redeemer. Father, I pray that whatever I've said, Lord, something may have stuck that tells us that we need to be more passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ because there are eternal consequences for rejecting him. Father, I pray that you would stir in all of us this passion that we would look at the lostness around us, not in a manner that is condemning or that there is anger, but that our hearts would break, knowing that every person that we see and come encounter with, have an encounter with will have to stand before you and give an account of their life. Father, I pray that we as believers would put away the excuses and that we would be bold like believers around the world who have stood in the gap and are willing to pay the price for their faith. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church, equip this church, encourage this church, Lord, as they are light in a dark place and that you would use them, Lord, to draw many more into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We lift up this time to you even when we go from this place, Lord, may you be the center of our lives, and may your gospel be our number one passion. For I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Beloved, this is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Take and drink you all of it, and do this in remembrance of him. And now if you would please rise, and if you would like, if you would take the hand of your neighbor, and please join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that today you have not only drawn us to your table, but you have reminded us that you have a mission for us in the world, that you are not only calling us here, but you are sending us forth to declare your great good news, not only with our words, but also by giving of ourselves, just as your son Jesus Christ gave his own body and blood, so that we might know not only the proof of his love through his death on the cross, but the power of your transformation through the resurrection unto eternal life. Lord, we thank you that today you have set aside these ordinary elements for an extraordinary purpose that they have become the sign and seal of your covenant love for us. So now, Lord, thankful for all of these gifts. Hear us now as we pray together and sing together the prayer that your son taught us to pray.
Just a few reminders before we go today. Reminders that, first of all, that God has called us to go forth, to make disciples of all nations and to show forth his love. I want to encourage you to do that first by taking a very positive step of signing up for one of our Love SATX ministries on October 22nd. There are tables in the Mose lobby. We need 250 people to fully staff everything that we are hoping to do that day. We have way more than that here over the course of this morning. We hope that everybody will sign up and be a part of that. We also want to remind you that uh, Dr. Peter Novak will be speaking in the next service. So if you'd like to, go grab a cookie, come back and join us for that service as well. We would love for you to hear from him as well. But as you go, know that you are being sent by the Lord who has brought you here for a purpose and who is sending you out for a purpose. Knowing that, now hear this charge and blessing. If you would, raise your hands to receive this benediction. Now go forth into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine full upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.